Our scripture this morning in our series looking at how Jesus appears to people after the resurrection uh, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. This is really one of the first appearances of Jesus to his disciples. He'd already uh, spoken to the women who had gone to uh, uh, dress his body the morning of the resurrection, but this is where he appears to his disciples. And uh, there are a couple of things that we want to look at. Uh, the first is what the disciples are doing and then, and then what Jesus does in response. Uh, so the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, we read this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on the night of the resurrection, the disciples were afraid. We've talked about this in the past couple sermons, but for the past three years, they had followed Jesus, a man they thought that might be the Messiah. He fit the profile according to everything they understood about this Messiah that had been promised. He was from the right family, tribe, town. Mystery surrounded his birth. There was rumors that angels had appeared in the sky. Jesus preached a message of radical grace. He performed miracles of healing. He cast out demons. He could see into the depths of a person's soul. Everything pointed to Jesus being the Savior who would redeem the children of Israel and usher in the kingdom of God. Then at Passover, the feast that celebrates God's deliverance of his people, everything fell apart. Jesus was arrested. He was condemned on false charges. He was handed to the Roman authorities and he was executed on a cross. Since that moment, since his death, the disciples had been overcome with legitimate fear. The leaders who had crucified Jesus could do the same to them, proclaiming them guilty by association. It was not actually unreasonable to expect that Roman soldiers would rush into their gathering and arrest them all. And that was why they were hiding in the upper room with the doors locked. Meeting together was a risk in itself, but the day's events had drawn them together again. The news that Mary brought about the resurrection should have brought them all joy. It should have been a great relief. Everything they believed about Jesus had actually been true. But it actually only increased their distress. Peter and John confirmed the tomb was empty, but John 29 and 10 say they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples despaired in their confusion, and they hid in an upper room behind a locked door to mourn what they had lost and worry about the future. Even if the resurrection of Jesus had already been witnessed by the women, the disciples 
were living through a crisis that upended their entire world. Sadly, we know what the disciples felt. The fear that they felt after the death of Jesus also permeates our own life. And that fear, that worry about the future, that frustration about things we've experienced doesn't just happen in moments of crisis. It seems to be a hallmark of our existence, especially lately. Our world seems so broken But we always, even under good times and good seasons, live under the shadow of hardship and death and disease and frustration. Shakespeare, uh, William Shakespeare called this the heart ache and thousand natural shocks that come with being human. Our ancestors understood that life in this broken world is full of unexpected tragedy, that life was fragile and therefore it was precious. Just like us, our parents and grandparents watched nations rise and fall. They watched wars happen. They watched natural disasters strike without warning. They watched pandemics and disease come and go alongside the very personal ups and downs of their own lives. Eventually, the broken world touches us or the people that we love in ways that we cannot ignore. Because wars don't just happen far away. They sometimes carry people we love into the center of that terror. Random accidents shatter lives. Disease alters our present and redirects our future. We get a diagnosis that we weren't expecting and things suddenly change. Relationships that we, we really cherish sometimes fall apart. The plans we make for ourselves crumble when we least expect them to do so. We all know someone who has gotten sick and then died when we desperately wanted them to live. Now, this isn't to say there isn't any good in the world because, of course, there is. If we have eyes to see it, we know that this world is saturated with his blessings. But it often feels like there's so much more of the bad. Every crisis we've ever experienced puts us in that same upper room, overcome by the sorrow of the things that we lost and our fear and disappointment about what might come next. Even worse, the wounds that hard moments leave on the human heart, we, which we sometimes call trauma, it doesn't just leave pain, it, it leaves lessons. Whether we recognize it or not, the brokenness of this world tries to teach us that life is all too often cruel and unfair and random. The small and large tragedies of our lives might convince us that our world is ruled by chaos rather than a good God who desires the best for his children. Too many good people suffer and die while bad people seem to flourish. The wicked prey upon the innocent doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of people to stand up to them. Power overwhelms mercy. Political spin seems to hide the truth. Outrage appears to achieve results. Facing the deepest disappointment of their lives, the death of Jesus, had seemingly taught the disciples a lesson that we know too well, that the world is broken, that the world breaks our hopes, and it would probably break them again. The uncertainty they felt about the future multiplied their worry 
and it imprisoned them in a windowless room of fear. But then Jesus enters in. The arrival of Jesus in the upper room reveals that our God desires to bring us peace in the middle of our chaos. And he shows us this in three ways. He shows the disciples this in three ways, and the same goes for us. First, Jesus comes to the disciples even though they were not looking for him. Remember, the disciples had retreated to the upper room to hide from the authorities. Aside from Peter and John, who gave up after they found the tomb empty, not one of them had taken any effort to search or look for Jesus since Mary told them that he was alive. They hadn't appointed a lookout at the window to see if Jesus was coming up the street. Right? That would have been a simple thing. Just look for Jesus if he happens to walk by. They hadn't put up posters in the neighborhood trying to find him. Lost Savior, wandered away from the tomb, brown hair, wounds on his hands and feet, uh, come to upper room if found. Right? They didn't do that. They hadn't prepared a feast for his return to welcome their friend back from the dead. They hadn't blown up balloons and got confetti. They had not expected him to show up. Their fear compelled them to hide. But Jesus comes anyway. Friends, Jesus comes anyway. Notice here and throughout Scripture, prepositions tend to reveal God's love for his children. The Bible tells us that God is really quite bad at keeping his distance. He is always moving toward his people. He does not linger at the edge of the universe waiting for his children to figure things out on on their own. But he steps into our world to rescue the people that he loves. In Genesis, Adam and Eve hide from God after they eat the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. Rather than give them the cold shoulder or throw them out of the garden all at once, our God instead gently pursues them. In Genesis 3, he says, The Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Later in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord enshrines the pursuit of his children into the law proclaiming that you are a people holy to your God. He has chosen you to be his treasured possession, which means that God is is eager to find you and to hold you, to, to bring you home. In Ezekiel 34, God says that he will, he will search for his children personally. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, That have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and rescue them on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And in Jesus, the Lord comes to his people to be with them forevermore, proclaiming in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember, Emmanuel, what does it mean? It means God with us. Uh, A pastor from uh, the previous uh, century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says this. He says, some people think, seem to think the message of the Bible is one that tells us what we have to do in order to please this God whom we have offended. But that is quite wrong. The Bible tells us about what God has done in order to reconcile us to himself. Not only is God not unwilling to receive us, it is he who goes out of his way to seek us. 
While the disciples hide in the upper room, Jesus appears among them when they were not even looking, and he moves towards us in the exact same way. Second, Jesus stands among them and steps into their fear. Notice, Jesus appears while the disciples were still afraid. I think the sudden appearance of Jesus in a locked room would have genuinely scared me. When the girls come into our night in the middle of the night, it scares me. I I get frightened when someone is in the room I don't expect. Recall the last time that they saw Jesus was at his arrest when they scattered terrified into the night, denying that they knew him. Jesus could have been bothered by their fragile faith, but instead he extends grace by stepping into their anxiety to give them what they lack. Uh, Pastor John Piper writes this movement towards his disciples is Jesus saying, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I come to help them have enough faith to overcome their fear. Jesus doesn't grant his peace as a reward, but as a gift of grace. He knows what we need, and so he comes to supply it. Finally, Jesus steps into our fear to bring us his peace, which he has promised will always be with us through the Holy Spirit. After appearing in the locked room, Jesus declares, peace be with you. Now, this phrase is often used as like a normal greeting. If you're just sort of meeting somebody on the street, you say, peace be with you. But Jesus uses these words to convey the seismic change that has occurred through his death and resurrection. The peace that he provides isn't a vague, positive feeling, but a spiritual certainty. The cross ensures God's children find peace with God, which allow them to stand in the peace of God. Notice the change in the disciples when he shows them his wounds. When they see the effects of the cross, what happens to their fear? It changes into gladness, into joy. The marks of his sacrifice were evidence that Jesus accomplished for them what they could not do on their own, reconciliation with the Father. Jesus then seals his peace in the hearts of his disciples by breathing on them. Now, this might seem strange, but this moment points back to creation. It's a powerful symbol that Jesus is using. In Genesis 2, way back at the beginning, the Holy Spirit breathes life into God's creation, Adam. In the upper room, Jesus, the firstborn of God's new creation and coming kingdom, breathes new life into his people. We are seeing a literal new creation in the upper room. The peace changed the course of their lives. Instead of hiding, the disciples spoke boldly to the council that condemned Jesus. That, that, uh, they suffered physical abuse and persecution from the Roman Empire. They faced death. They endured death without fear. The peace inside of them that God had given them was greater than the chaos and the violence and the brokenness around them. Elizabeth Elliot, who is the wife of Jim Elliot, um, a missionary, said this, Our Savior and Helper delights in quieting us. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. 
The same peace that grounded the disciples is promised to you and me. But church, the peace of Jesus is not solely for our own benefit. Christianity following Jesus is not just about securing peace for our own benefit, but sharing that peace with others. Our salvation leads us to participate in the redemption of the world in which we live, overcoming evil with good and restoring what's been broken. When Jesus talks about sending the disciples and about uh, forgiving others, he is telling the disciples they now have the power to help make the world new. Just like Jesus has sent Uh, Just like the God, the Father had sent Jesus, now Jesus was sending the disciples and how he sends us. Because our God is already among us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, planting his peace in our hearts, our lives are designed to become reflections of his love and grace. Like our Savior did with the disciples, we are called to stand in the middle of this world's deepest fear and share the good news that Jesus has come to rescue And restore all things. And the appearance of Jesus among the disciples actually teaches us how to move into the brokenness around us on a practical level. Those same three things that Jesus did, we can do too. So first, we are called to actively seek the lost and broken, not just wait for them to come to us. Jesus does not wait for the disciples to get over their fear or get their life together before giving them peace and restoring their hope. We extend mercy in the same way. We extend mercy. We assume the best. We offer to help to the people who are actively struggling because that is what Jesus did for us. We do not wait for the broken to come to us as Christians. We go to the broken. Second, we are to stand next to others and their pain and fear, which means we need to be close to other people. Extending mercy like Jesus means getting close, and I'm talking about proximity to others, uh, other people, maybe even closer than we like, because the presence of Christ in us has the power to illuminate even the darkest places. This also means that we will find constant opportunity to show his love to others in the ups and downs of our regular lives. We go to the people who are most often around us, our friends and family, the people we see at work or in our various activities. Finally, we are called to share the peace that Jesus has given us to others. If anything, we are conduits through which the grace of God flows into our world. And knowing this reduces our anxiety about whether we can help others because we're not offering anything that hasn't already been given to us. The peace that we share doesn't come from our own effort or energy. The peace we share will never run out because it comes from God who pours out his love from an infinite well of grace. One story that models this movement of God's peace to a broken world uh, happened at the start of the pandemic about two years ago. Can you believe it was only two years ago? In Florida, 
Uh, there was a 94-year-old widow, and she was celebrating her birthday with her daughter in the garden of her nursing home, uh, but her daughter was standing apart, right? In the very early stages, we really took that seriously, that we had to be, uh, maintain that social distance. And she was standing on the other side of the sidewalk with a cake and some balloons. So they were not close. They weren't able to hug or embrace. The road near them uh, was being repaired, and the workers stopped so that mother and daughter wouldn't have to shout above the noise. Then one of the workers uh, stepped forward, and he asked, Hey, can I sing a happy birthday to your mom? And so he did. What they didn't know was that this worker also sang in his own church's choir. And as a part of his ministry, of his participation in what his church was doing for the world, he had been accustomed to going into nursing homes and singing for residents. Now, this was just a simple example of kindness to two people who were overcome with the anxiety that all of us were feeling at the start of the pandemic. But it made such a profound difference, and it brought both mother and daughter to tears because they were seeing something beyond the chaos and the brokenness around them. When someone asked him why he wanted to sing, because of course it went viral and people wanted to talk to him, he said, any time that I can use the grace of God to make someone happy, that's what I'm going to do. That is exactly what we are called to do, just like what Jesus does to the disciples in the upper room. Church, the kingdom of God is best spread when believers share the grace and the love and the peace they know through Jesus and direct and personal ways. Every day we have interactions with people weighed down by their own worry and fear. And no matter what they are presenting to us, even if they seem uh, like they have everything together and everything is fine, that might not be true. Everybody is carrying something. Everybody carries wounds. And those wounds have taught them something. But Jesus asks us, to act in a way that points to his overwhelming love and gentleness and peace. Rather than maintain a safe distance, Jesus calls us to be like him and lean into the lives of people around us and tangibly express his love. And again, it doesn't have to be in some big way. We don't have to give them a million dollars or something like that. I don't know. I can't think of any big ways. We're supposed to do it in small and kind and gentle ways. All of us have been called to reflect the peace that we know in Jesus in our living rooms and in our neighborhoods and our grocery stores. Whether we're at home or work or working out or stuck in traffic, Jesus has given us his peace to share with a fearful world. Right now, our world needs that peace more than ever. So may we all stand and share in his peace today and tomorrow and every moment of our lives. And may we share that peace with others always. Hallelujah. Amen.